Hey everyone, and welcome to InFlight. I'm your host, Sol. Hey, and this is Norm XP. Uh, welcome aboard, guys. I hope you guys have had a great week. This episode will most likely be coming out a little bit later in the week. Uh, so it's a, over a week since our last episode, but as I said last time, I'll, I'll reiterate, uh, the episode is not, um, the podcast is not going to be coming out weekly anymore. We're just trying to get the best quality guests that we can and, and have the best editing that we can in order to make the podcast the best that it can be. Uh, so we will not be coming out with weekly episodes anymore, um, but we are very, very excited for our guest later in the episode who you'll find out about <clears throat> as we progress. Um, but first, a pretty major topic that I'm sure has been every on everyone's minds, and it'd be surprising if Threshold didn't cover it, so here we are covering it, is uh, the coronavirus. I know uh, everybody is either living in fear or just trying to, you know, deal with the annoyances of things being canceled. I know uh, we actually weren't supposed to have any episodes these next two weeks because I was supposed to be away in India, um, but that trip was canceled, and uh, a lot of things are seeming to be canceled right now, um, including E3 and such. Uh, speaking of things that are canceled, you might have noticed that um, there is the possibility that Flight Sim Expo might be canceled. Uh, they released a little, a little information booklet about um, just things having to like what their thoughts are on the whole thing, and um, they are not canceling it right now. But I think that it might be canceled, considering that E three is around the same time and it was canceled. What do you think, Norm? Well, um, in all honesty, I'm hoping that it doesn't. I'm actually just for my selfish reasons, looking forward to going there, but there's tons of other people who have made plans around it, vacation time around it, you know, and just the whole excitement of having um, the Flysome Expo over here in the States for us is a good thing, you know, back to Vegas. So um, it's sad. I mean, the whole environment with the coronavirus thing, I mean, it is a real thing. It is a virus, you know, personal opinion, I think it's been blown out of proportion, but, you know, hey, life is what it is and people are going to react the way they react to things like this. So yeah, um, it would be sad if Microsoft flights, well, not Microsoft flights in Expo, but um, flights in Expo um, gets canceled or even delayed or pushed back. But I guess something that we have to deal with, um, you know, for us, we're simmers. And um, <clears throat> this is the one time a year or two or three times a year that we do get together. And uh, it would be a loss for us at this point. But fingers crossed, hopefully a month from now, everything will be calmed down and we can get back to normal operating life. I mean, it, that's not the biggest thing. I mean, there's real world airlines out there right now who are actually grounding airplanes and thinking about possibly um, furloughing um, pilots and flight attendants just because they don't have the capacity uh, for people flying right now. I was mentioning um, that I, Lufthansa two days ago grounded all their A380s. Uh, also, you have... Um, Qantas grounding A380s also, and Korean Airlines grounding A380s. You know, those are their biggest jets. They carry the most amount of people. They don't want to be flying empty jets around because everybody's canceling their events and people are not traveling. So it's just spread far and wide in the aviation industry, you know, not just in the simming, but in the real world. Absolutely. It's definitely very telling the reaction that is coming from people. People are obviously very shaken up by it. Um, I mean, stocks are down and all of that. Um, but also, 
it's interesting to see how people are kind of remembering things that they should do and I, I say interesting because it's also kind of funny wash your hands that we have to be yeah that we have to be reminded oh yeah 20 20 seconds minimum to wash your hands it's it's funny that this is like oh yeah <laughs> maybe i should be doing that or oh yeah maybe i should have hand sanitizer with you me. think it, <laughs> yeah it, it's i i've kind of been getting a kick out of it because here in new york people are it, i mean honestly in a lot of ways rightfully getting a little bit worried about it because it is we have like the most cases right now but at the same time i have noticed so many people wearing masks and so many people just like taking their hand sanitizer out every few seconds and it's 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 funny to watch because that's something that i've tried to teach myself how to do before this whole thing started is because there's this one year where i got sick so many times and i paid attention to myself one day and it was because i just kept on forgetting that i had touched the subway poles and then i was like touching my face and stuff yeah and i was like you can't do that don't remind (laughs) me so i kind of yeah so i got i got rid of the habit um but it it's also interesting to me that a lot of the reactions of larger companies and larger venues is to increase hand sanitizing stations and such Mm -hmm. um i mean that's one thing that um was mentioned on the paper that was released by Flight Sim Expo. They have a, a subheader that says our intended path forward, and it says ensuring hand sanitizing stations are available, washing hands regularly, um, reminding attendees to do that, and then encouraging safe health practices during the event and discouraging handshakes and such. Um, and then like a few things about what the venue is doing. And it's curious that some of this is new. Yeah, it me. is curious. I mean, from the last flights in Expo, I mean, there's so much equipment that everybody is touching from the mock-ups mm-hmm. to the, to the, 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 um, the throttle quadrants, the yokes, the joysticks. You know, everybody's just in line to touch all these things around them. That's what we do. We're, we're humans. We love to touch and feel and examine. So it would, you know, definitely that's a good step forward. At least have that. I mean, washing up the hands is the best thing, but the hand sanitizers will go a long way to spread it. Now, here's a good thing, though. Well, good and bad for some people. This pretty much, based on what you're saying, affects the older people and people who have, um, are predisposed to other things or already sick with other things, right? So in the scheme of things, I think I'm very optimistic that we are going to have one. Things are going to calm down. It's going to go around the world. Who is going to get sick? Who's going to recover? But at the end of the day, it's not going to be as devastating as you're thinking it is. I'm, that's my optimism talking. Yeah. I could be wrong. <laughs> I'm, I'm the guy who already don't touch like elevator buttons and stuff. I use actually the knuckle of my index finger to push buttons. Mm-hmm. When you have to type in your PIN number at the gas station or your zip code or whatever when you're getting gas, I don't touch that stuff. <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> you know, that's just me. So, you know, uh, give it a month, man. Give it a month and hopefully, you, you know, not back to where we were, but... A little bit more cautious about what we do in life and um and go back to get these airplanes flying in real life yeah people had to have jobs and stuff yeah yeah it was crazy to me um i I've, I've kind of been trying to step out of the news for a bit because i have a lot of other work and responsibilities to do and i um i just don't have time for it but i've of course been updated by people in my life who actually do read the news more frequently than i do and 
I was really surprised, but also not surprised <laughs> because just <laughs> of the way that the aircraft, the airline industry works to find that they were flying air, airplanes just like completely empty um, to keep their slots at airports, which totally makes sense because it's Jeez. really it's really competitive, but it's also just interesting that that is also another response from the whole thing. Um, yeah. Long story short, um, circling back around, um, <clears throat> this is one like an instance of a real life event that affects our our flight sim world because sometimes you forget that we're kind of in a bubble and a, a, like a bubble of people, a little bubbled community, and that real things can actually happen. And we've talked about this, you and I, Norm, and also I've talked about this before. You were our co-host about how sometimes people forget that real life exists and that developers have to do things outside of their regular scope. Um, and a prime example of this is the other major thing uh, that came up, which is Microsoft is asking their team to focus on their health and well-being. So their yes. their development has been scaled back and i think that's great of them to do um abs- absolutely like being in a in a at, large at first space. i was at first when i saw the release i was I'm like why why would you stop developing and you're in front of a computer but then i forgot that there's teams all over yeah that might have to travel back and forth and and things like that so yeah when you don't think you'll affect uh, a, a developmental team it does because they live in the real world as you said and they have to travel and meat and you know different things like that so it does yeah and also just personal issues too i've seen people jump down throats of developers for having a personal issue here and there and it's i I think that this is a hard reminder to us as a community but also a necessary reminder that not everything is you know perfect and that sometimes things happen in real life that affect what we want and uh, i'm really happy to see that people are understanding of that and i as much as it sucks and as much as i agree with you that selfishly i want fs expo to keep on going because um for those of you who don't know uh, a lot of most threshold workers um have not met each other we all uh, meet online and have meetings online and having that is great but also there's a personal aspect where you want to meet the people that you're actually talking to and i was very much looking forward to fs expo because i would finally be able to meet a lot of the people um that i speak to very very regularly norm included and um oh yeah (laughs) and i i selfishly i selfishly want this to continue but at the same time i understand that it's it's a serious thing and that if it cancels that's okay oh yeah and it's nice to see that that's mirrored amongst other people too which is true at the end of the day personal health um, um, comes into play, you know, personal lives. But one funny anecdote is um, one guy in my last stream was like, yeah, you know what? He's like, the school might be shut down where he's going to, he's in college. And he's like, well, gives me more time to bone up my hours in, in X-Plane 11. <laughs> so I thought that was funny. Stay home and fly, you know? Yeah. I don't know if it has anything to do with it, but I've been noticing VATSIM traffic over in Europe has been a lot more over the last few days in the middle of the week when it normally isn't. So oh, really? Who knows? Oh, yeah. They had everybody on, like Tower, Center, and so forth. So, you know, look, if you guys are going to be home, if you guys are quarantined or whatever, at least we have a good hobby outlet to be, do some flying to make a light of a bad situation. You know, it's funny you say that because 
uh, you point out the whole Europe thing because I just picked up fat, uh, pulled up Fat Spy because I was curious. Uh, because before you even saw said that, I was thinking the exact same thing. And first of all, it th- there's way more people than I've seen at this hour than I have seen in a while, and it looks like almost the entirety of the East Coast is just completely online. And there's a lot in the United States right now. Um, yeah, on a Wednesday. On yeah, a Wednesday well, night, which it, this is like. Yeah. This looks like FNO type traffic right here. <laughs> true. Um, true. Yeah, and yeah, you're completely right. We have it's it's kind of like a half and half thing. We're stuck in this bubble um, where sometimes we forget about the real world, but also when the real world comes in and shoves it in our face like it has now, we can go back to our bubble and we can hang out with each other and we can share this great hobby with each other yep absolutely absolutely and let's keep it a great hobby guys it's not that serious Very, very pleased to introduce V1, also known as Kevin. Kevin is another streamer, just like XP and otherwise known as Norm is. Um, he is also a real-world Airbus pilot, so I'm sure I'm going to have a lot of questions for him. Thank you so much for joining us, Kevin, and welcome to the show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. How's your evening uh, in Texas, right? You live in Texas? Yes, yes. live in Texas. It's been, it was good. I was just telling XP there a minute ago, I was hustling to get over here and get everything in line, but it's been a, it's been a good day so far. Everybody has seemed to be calm. There's no children screaming in the background. So I think, I think we should be good to go. That's wonderful. I mean, yeah, that's, that's always a great thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It seems like we were both hustling because I, I literally just got home from our run and I, I realized, <laughs> oh my God, I have 15 minutes left. So not only did Discord have to update, but I also took the world's fastest shower in order to get ready. There you go. Yeah. So it seems yep. lucky. You. Yeah. It seems like yeah. we're all grinding. But I, you know, <laughs> actually, true. I have done recordings here and there where I've literally, I don't know why, I always decide to do a run right before I have to do a recording. And I've had to do recordings before where I've gotten from home from a run and I'm still in my gear and I'm just interviewing the person and acting like nothing is different and that I'm just in like normal working clothes. Yep. Once we start doing yep. video on YouTube, I'm going to have to stop doing that. But you know right that might yeah. give you away a little bit there if you had video sure. yeah it's almost like um before a stream the exactly that goes on before you go live oh, you, dude, that live button you know on. if you're not a streamer if you really it's hard to understand what it takes to set up a stream and ready and press that live button because i mean there's so much stuff that goes on behind like getting all your your charts set up get into your project fly set up your overlays all that stuff and i just and i always feel like i'm rushing at the beginning of a stream Even, no matter how much time i give myself it's always like rush 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 get it done yeah i can only imagine like for me at least i don't have to do the whole obs thing and like setting up all of that and it takes me a right. while sometimes i have to like work myself up to do a flight because i have to do all that i have to go on sim brief i have to file the plan then i have to yep. file the plan on VATSIM, and then i have to open up project fly and i have to file it on there and then i have to open up my charts oh, yeah. and then i have to yeah. put the flight plan in there and then i get into the aircraft and then i have to tune it up yeah you get the idea <laughs> yeah which brings me to like almost like a real world question in your real world job as mm-hmm. a pilot i mean 
there's no shortcut to what you guys can do because of checklist, but it's still a lot. Right. In it, isn't it? Yeah, definitely, man. And it's, it, we definitely feel the push. I mean, if you're one small, I mean, if you have a five minute delay in the morning, say that plane just came in five minutes late, right? That is going to snowball leg after leg throughout the rest of the day. And at the end of the night, that airplane may end up being an hour to two hours late, just depending on the snowball effect and how it could just keep rolling. Cause it, it's amazing how one small thing can really start to compound different things have to happen. And then you end up, you know, with a two hour delay at the end of the evening. So what would you say would be, if all goes well, would be the average time for get to the cockpit set up and ready to push? So what would you say? It, it'll depend on the airframe that you're flying, but for a narrow body Airbus, a general rule of thumb is about 45 minutes. So where I work, you have a, we have, we call it a show time, right? And you have to be at the airplane at that time. And it's typically right at that 45 minute mark prior to departure. So that gives us, we, our goal is to leave 10 prior. So really it's about 35 minutes to set up. I mean, honestly, once you're, if everybody's there, the flight attendants are there, the airplane's not broken. It doesn't take too long to get the airplane set up because if the paperwork is properly filed, we just call for PDC clearance and it's just comes through the computer. You don't even have to talk to anybody. You verify it with the route that you have in front of you, and then you're good to go. But it's, it's when you're missing, you know, let's say there's a flight attendant missing and now you, you can't board because you have to have so many people on the aircraft to board for safety, that flight attendant's required, then now that's going to delay boarding, which will delay everybody getting on the airplane. And then it starts to roll from there. So real world PVC comes through the FMC? That is correct. Yes. Mm. So I've, I've seen a few times when I'm sitting at the gate, uh, you know, occasionally last minute, they'll, they'll talk about the flight attendants well the the gate agents will talk about something having to do with the route being changed and then you'll see them printing up uh the whole thing and um i know that simbrief gives you a very similar thing is that still done on paper because i know that's like the flight plan and all of your weights and all of your information is that still done yeah so it's there are airlines that are moving to that complete 100 percent paperless release form we call it a release which is the paperwork is our flight plan our weather our notams everything like that we call it a release and there's there's airlines that are trending towards that completely paperless version but right now i don't think off the top of my head i can't really think of anyone that is 100 paperless yet but um yeah that paperwork contains the notams the the flight plan and everything your fuel load that's required your estimated weight for takeoff and cg and all that stuff so quick question. So how close or how far away is Simbrief uh, compared to the real world paperwork? If I'm being completely honest, man, I, I don't really know because I don't use Simbrief just because I it's kind of like I do it at work. So why do I want to do it for fun? Yeah. <laughs> right. But with that being said, I have seen images and I've been looking as I'm, some of you guys know, probably I'm getting ready to do a stream over into Europe and then I'm going to do some streams in Europe. So I've really been kind of dabbling into Simbrief within the last few days. And mm -hmm. from so far from what I've seen, it's very realistic. And I can, you can, when you can change your flight plan format to certain airlines, I don't, I mean, that's, that's, it's pretty darn close to the real thing. I mean, it's very impressive how they have it structured so they can, it, it mimics the real world thing. Is there something that you see that either streamers do or other people, you know, that are uh, flight simming, uh, just, you know, people who post videos and such something that they do that either that, that isn't really in line with the way you 
do it in the real world because I know that there's a few steps that I sometimes skip because I have just no idea how to calculate them. Like I know on the flight factor A320, whenever it asks for the V1, I just do not know how to calculate that. So I put a random number in there. <laughs> One thing that uh, that does kind of pop out and it's, it's funny because I tend not to do it during a stream either. But when I watch videos of, and this is kind of what started my idea for the professional series in the Airbus was I was kind of looking to see how, how people were flying it. And I was like, man, that's not, that's not necessarily right. Or yeah. that's not right. So I was like, well, I'm going to try to do something by the book and nobody does fire tests. Like nobody, nobody ch does the fire test. And that's the first thing when you get in the airplane, when I sit down, fingers go up to the overhead, we're doing the APU fire check. We mm -hmm. got to do that on every crew swap or every airframe swap. And then you're testing the fire bottles for the left and right and the cargo. And it's just, it's funny because I, I find myself not doing it on stream, but that is one thing that I rarely ever see anybody do. Yeah. Sounds like you're talking about me right there. <laughs> and no, me. no, no, XP. No, absolutely. Yeah. No, no. I mean, I, I, dude, I thoroughly enjoy your streams, man. Honestly, from, from you, the way you fly the Airbus on stream, man, it's freaking, it's awesome, dude. So it's, that's it's, because I mimic, I mimic you <laughs> and other guys who fly in the real world. Seriously. You no, know, that's the way I learn. You know, mm -hmm. I, I figure there's for me different levels of simulation on, on the desktop oh, computer. Right. Absolutely. You yeah. could just start up, start it up with the engines running, you go. Right. Or you can do uh in the middle somewhere or you can do full blown, you know, right. I, I'm in the middle of somewhere. Yeah, me too. Yeah, no, ab absolutely. And that's before I became a pilot. I mean, I was, I was flying Sims, you know, back in the nineties. So it was, and before I knew how an airliner worked or how an Airbus worked or how a Boeing worked for that matter, I would do just that, you know, I would start, okay, engines running and then let's go and let's just, let's have fun flying around. So there's absolutely, there's, you you hit it right on the head there is there are so many different levels in desktop simulation. I mean, some guys just want to get in and go fly a tool around and that's perfect. Some guys want to take it to the extreme and do everything step by step. And then there's, you know, guys in the middle, which I kind of, I, I think when I stream, I try to tend to be kind of in that middle as well. I don't want to, I don't want it to become a repeat of my job, right? Yeah. I, I want to be able to enjoy it as well and have some fun in it. That's why like I'll skip steps. And I mean, I don't do fire tests on stream hardly at all. Mm -hmm. and, or I'll do, you know, I'll just throw in random speeds from what I would assume would be correct. You know, I don't look it up or use a third party V-speed calculator. Although I'm trying to figure out, speaking of V-speed calculators on the toll list, the 321, I'm trying to figure out kind of what's going into those calculations because I think they're just a tad off, but I don't, mm -hmm. I haven't found out really what's causing that. So. Yeah. Um, makes sense. And I saw it on your stream that you're, you've been talking about that, but which leads me to, to ask, I mean, being that you do this for real in the real world and how do you find the, the mental energy or strength to actually do it in the simulator, uh, online and stream? Is it just for the love of airplanes and all things airplanes? You know, honestly, it's, um, <laughs> I know my dogs are going, going bonkers <laughs> in the background. They're looking but, for you. They, <laughs> we have construction going along. So there's people walking outside and they freak out. But, <laughs> um, honestly, it's, it's really the community that drives me to do more because if I come back from a four day trip, the last thing I really want to do is hop back in an Airbus and do a stream. I kind of need a, at least a day to kind of do nothing airplane related. You know, I have my own hobbies, hang out with the family or whatnot. But after my channel has grown a little bit and I've 
become more involved with the community and I see how people are receiving the content that I put out there, it ignites my passion to teach because I, I was an instructor for many years and I, I love teaching. I love teaching people how to fly. I love teaching people the very basics of aviation. And I also love teaching complex systems and things like that. So having that feedback from the community really has ignited my drive to continue to stream even after, you know, a long week of work, I'm like, well, I want to come home and let's, let's see if we can teach somebody something else because I just enjoy doing that. So it's basically, it's compartmentalized then for yeah. you where yeah. one is one thing, one is the other. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Were you ever certified to fly anything besides an Airbus? Yeah. Yeah. So I have, I have a couple different type ratings. I flew a slew of different private jets, mostly all citations. And then uh -huh. I have, I flow the Embraer series, the uh, 170, 175, 90, and 95, same type rating, just the differences training in between there. And then, you know, tons of turboprops and stuff that doesn't require type ratings. But as far as type ratings goes, it's a couple citation jets, the Embraer series, and now the Airbus single aisle family 19. And that's the same type rating as well. You cover all three, 19, 20, and 21. So would you say that Airbus is one of your favorite planes to fly? Uh, absolutely. Definitely. I think initially when I, when I stepped over from the Embraer or the E-Jet is it was actually a step backwards in technology because the E-Jet mm -hmm. is actually more advanced in its uh, vertical flight planning and its vertical navigation capabilities and things like that. So going into the Airbus, people were like, oh man, it's so advanced. And I'm thinking, well, these guys obviously haven't flown an E-Jet because this thing is, yeah. uh, I mean, I had to go back to my old three to one rule calculations and come bring back some of my old mental math that I never did in the E-Jet series uh, right. in the Airbus now. But it's, it's become, I, I would have a hard time going into, say, a Boeing. And as a child, I definitely grew up as a Boeing kid. I mean, you know, I, I'm an American citizen, right? So Boeing is made in America. It was kind of like, yeah, Boeing, yeah. Boeing. And I love the 727. It's still my favorite airplane to this day. But mm -hmm. I, I think I would have a hard time going into, let's say, a 737 after being spoiled in the Airbus. Because honestly, it is like being spoiled. I mean, you have this huge cockpit, tons of room. You've got a tray table. The airplane is a, a joy to fly. And it's a lot of people don't know this about the Airbus unless you really fly them in real life is they are an absolute blast to hand fly hmm. because, oh, it's fly by wire. You're not really flying. You know, mm -hmm. in, in, in a way that's true, but it's just made flying easier. I mean, you're still flying. It just yeah. makes it easier. So I can just, I can roll in, let go. I don't have to worry about all the other, you know, coordinating with rudder and trim and all that, even though that's fun and that's how everyone grows up in aviation and, and learning how to fly small airplanes all the way to jets. But it hand flies like a dream. I mean, I turn the auto thrust off. I turn everything off at least once or twice a trip just so I stay, um, what's the word? I stay, you know, confident in hand flying abilities because it is so automated that you can get in a position where if you don't have something available to you, for instance, auto thrust, you'd be like, oh my gosh, I have to actually move the thrust levers now. Wow. <laughs> and if you're in a situation where, you know, you, you can't use auto thrust, that's not good, right? You want to have that, you want to keep that confidence level up of being able to hand fly and manipulate the aircraft. And I, I thoroughly enjoy hand flying the Airbus. I think it's a great airplane. No, this is, this is great to know. I think and, you should uh, go into Airbus sales when you're done because you've convinced me. <laughs> no, you have. Oh no, there's, def there's, there's definitely some things that I would like to change too. 
but I mean, honestly, it would be, I have friends, like I have close friends that have, have left the Airbus and are in the 737 and they say, you know what, man, it's, it's nowhere near as comfortable and they, they don't, they don't like it because it's, it's a good airplane. It's not that they don't trust it or anything like that. It's not really a matter of of safety. I know there's a lot of talk about the max and seven, three, it's not, they're not concerned safety wise. They're just on a comfort level as a pilot we're, we like to be comfortable, right? And the Airbus, it's pretty hard to get more comfortable than an Airbus cockpit. It's interesting that you have that perspective because I know that my flight instructor uh, down in California, mm-hmm. well, over in California, he is a really, really big fan of Airbus. Yeah. Uh, I brought up the the whole argument with him, like the Boeing versus mm-hmm. Airbus thing. Mm-hmm. I really think that it's just a flight simulator argument, honestly, yeah. because I, I he, he thinks that the better way to fly is when you're able to do less, but also be aware of everything else the aircraft is doing. And that's kind of what you're describing it as. Like you're very aware that fly by wire is there and that auto thrust is there, but the fact that it's there, it makes everything so much easier and you just have to keep on your toes and remind yourself that that exists. still. and then from there, it just makes, it just makes the whole thing a lot more enjoyable because then you're focusing on flying and not like, everything else that's happening because mm-hmm. i mean it's it's no secret that cockpits are pretty complicated and when you have to think about a lot of things it detracts from the love of flying which I, that's what i get a lot when i fly the little 172 mm-hmm. is just looking outside and being like wow i am like thousands of feet above the ground right now and yeah. moving really really quickly and this is just great yeah. i'm enjoying it. absolutely let me let me ask you oh sorry go ahead. no i was gonna say yeah. a, a little funny take on this is because i've always had the uh the, the thrustmaster joystick and then i decided mm-hmm. to get the honeycomb yoke and the minute yeah. i mounted that yoke on my desk in front of me i immediately felt claustrophobic <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you know so when i switch yeah. back yeah. and forth between the yoke and the uh the, jo- the side stick or the joystick it, it's yeah. a difference you feel the space right away oh you know so I absolutely man. The world. 100% yeah, true Oh yeah, it's 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 weird. when I first sat in an Airbus cockpit, I, well the simulator, I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, this is uh, there is a lot of space here, you know. And I would yeah. I would end up I would move my seat all the way forward because I felt like I had too much space. But then my then you're <laughs> you have to adjust your eyes and your seat has to be a certain height so you can have the right perspective for flare techniques and thing like that. So they were saying you got to move mm-hmm. your seat back, man. You're too you're too close to the dash. Like it's okay to have space in front of you and. Just like XP said, man, if I had to go back with a yoke there now, I would feel just so clustered. It would be it would be tough. Yeah, absolutely. So, quick question, though. Well, not quick. Maybe the long answer. But how far back do you go in, <laughs> in aviation? How far back can you remember loving planes and wanting to do this stuff? Oh man! So ever since ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be in aviation. My my mother was actually a, f- a flight attendant for Pan Am. Mm. So, yep. And so she was in aviation for a while. And I just, ever since I was a kid, man, I always had some fashion fascination with, with airplanes. I would always make, I would collect all these air, little, um, what little die cast models called? I can't remember. Like Herpa wings or something like mm-hmm. that. I would collect them. I'd make airports all over the floor. My sister would hate me because she'd end up stepping on them, right? And But <laughs> as far back as I can remember, I knew I wanted to do something in aviation. And to be fair, the original... I originally wanted to do something in helicopters and be a medevac pilot. My, my father is a, a well, my, my late father, he just passed recently, but he was a Vietnam veteran. Wow. And he, he talked about 
helicopters and you know the, being able to be extracted and just the sound of the Huey, the Huey. showing up yep. and how it would how it would change the morale of guys on the ground and I thought man how cool would that be to be to use a skill that you have to save other people so yeah. that was kind of my original plan I wanted to go into the into the helicopters and military but the way my my career panned out I just didn't I it was pretty blessed to be honest with you, man, from, from being an instructor, from just regular flight school, I got a lead to fly a corporate jet right away with low time. So then that snowballed into the next thing. And before you know it, I was working at the airline. So it never really went down that route in towards the military. And I don't, I wouldn't say I regret it, but it was, that was my initial spark to aviation was you know, as a kid, always knew I want to do something in aviation originally helicopters. I still love helicopters to this day. I, I love seeing them fly around. That's a whole different animal, but, um, yeah, man. So it's as far back as I can remember pretty much is when, is when I wanted to be in aviation. It's interesting. I feel like most people that we ask a question similar to that will answer the same thing that it started really young. And I know that my mother actually pointed that out to me. She, after I gave a few interviews with people, um, I have a separate podcast as well mm -hmm. with my school and I interviewed uh, an engineer who was working on uh, boom supersonic mm -hmm. uh, like their their new um, supersonic passenger jets wow and I asked him the same question and he was just like I I was young and I remember just it just being there and it, it being something that I was just used to yeah. and it you know he never really thought about it until then and I don't know it's it's really weird that something like this starts at such a young age because you ask anybody else about another profession or another hobby and they all have different answers, but I've, I've only seen that people have started young. Like that's how it started for me is I, I just, um, like my, my aviation starting story is, uh, I was in the library, my school library, and they had those old MacBook pros, the white ones. Mm -hmm. uh, we talked about these actually last episode, um, it, with uh, Cessna Ross. I think I have one. They had the, <laughs> yeah, they had the old MacBook pros and, they had Google Earth on them. And of course, when we were kids, Google Earth was the coolest thing because you could go anywhere and mm -hmm. you could just see it. Um, but I found a little flight simulator thing on there and then I flew on there and it just it got so much larger after that. I found a free online simulator and then I did my first flight lesson in a Piper Cub. Uh, and then after that, I did a bunch of lessons in the 172 and now I'm halfway to getting my private pilot's license. And it's, it's really interesting. And then I know XP as well started at the ramps when he was younger and he also uh had like a little bit of that spark before he was working oh on yeah plane ramp. yeah that's wow, that, really that, yeah what's i didn't i so that was going to be my question i didn't know well now now i know so where you where you started xp what about you i i don't know your aviation story i know you had some some work in oh, the yeah. industry right it's not necessarily the ramps but i was actually a flight attendant for uh two airlines uh tower air and united yeah, but that's right. Tower Air, Tower Air was the better airline to work for for me at the time um, because it was a charter company. We did have some scheduled flights, mm -hmm. you know, all over the world, yeah. and we did Mac flights for the military, and we went over to mm -hmm. you know the Middle East and stuff. However, I got to hang out and do takeoff and landings in the cockpit. And at the time, I remember looking at them using what I now know is called a SIVA, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't know what mm -hmm. these guys were punching, uh, but you know, right. the captains are really cool. They're, hey, come up front, take a headset, listen to the ATC, you know, take off on landings, yeah. whatever you want. <laughs> I actually have recordings yeah. on eight millimeter tape or VHS wow. of yeah. landings and stuff. So that's what got me into it, which led, which yeah. led to the flight simulator thing later on. But what was your, what was you. your first flight simulator? That's the question. What's the first one you started with? 
Me? Oh, man. Um, I think the first one that I really got into where I was kind of old enough to understand what was happening was, um, what, what was before 98? Was it 96? Was that a flight sim? What's Windows? Was, Windows? Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, I could see the cover. Maybe it, maybe it was... Hmm. I want to say it was 98. I want to say it was 98. I have to do a Google search and see which one. Because that's when I really got... I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. Now, I tooled around with... There were some simulators with MS-DOS and things like that. that Jeez. I just I never really took it seriously. But I think 98 was when I was seriously... I knew what was kind of, I, I don't say I knew, I didn't know really what I was doing, but I, I really got into it. I was like, this is fun. I like this. So, yeah. but I, I want to say it's 98 is the one I, I probably still have all the CDs and, and stuff from, from all those, but uh, that's, that's interesting. So uh, another question about real world and simulators, you know, um, mm-hmm. A lot of people talk about flight modeling and X plane and feel of the plane and stuff really and truly. How much can mm-hmm. you realistically mimic the feel of any of these airplanes that we fly in a simulator with just a desktop joystick or yo? How much can we do that? How much can you get the like how much real feel? Get the real right, feel, right? Well, okay, so it's 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 kind of a weird it's a weird answer, maybe. So as far as light aircraft go, I would say you'd have the the hardest time replicating the real thing because in a light aircraft you really feel your body moving you feel like in a 172 if you've flown a light aircraft or something you you feel the airplane it just reacts to every little breath of wind things like that so it's that's a huge part of flying in the real world but when you go towards the airline section or the airline transport category of aircraft in the simulator it actually is pretty similar because in you know, in, in my job, my goal is to fly as smooth as possible, keep everybody comfortable, one G flight all the time. You don't want to be pulling three or four Gs. You don't want to be doing negative Gs, definitely. <laughs> so it really is, if you do a really good flight and they don't have a lot of turbulence or whatnot, it almost can really mimic the real thing. Wow. Now, I think the hardest part about that is, you know, when you look at a Boeing and you want to trim press, trim control pressures off of the airplane. Right. So in the Embraer, I never flew the Boeing, so I'll relate it to the Embraer. So the Embraer was all about, you know, you'd set your pitch and bank wherever you want, and then you trim to release that pressure. It's very hard to capture that in a simulator because that's a, unless you have a force feedback yoke, it's hard to really get that tactile feel. But when you look at the Airbus, where the Airbus is just a side stick, you know, fly by wire. And I've, I've said it before, the Warthog joystick, honestly, that resistance that I feel from the Warthog side stick, is very, very similar to the real side stick in the Airbus. Mm. So mm. that I could, I say you could simulate it pretty darn close as far as the feel of flying. Now landings and depth perception, that all goes out the window. I mean, trying to get, I know we have a lot of fun with our, with our landing rate calculators and things like that, but landing a jet <laughs> in real life is it's, not really, you can't really replicate that in a right. desktop sim because you feel, you know, you'll feel momentum. You'll feel the bottom dropping out or you'll feel the thermals coming up and lifting up the airplane and you hear the auto thrust pulling back. So now you know you're going to be on the backside of the power curve when you come out of that thermal and you're probably going to plan it. So you got like all that stuff you can't get in a desktop flight simulator. So it's very hard to mimic a, a landing 
in the sim and even the th- even the the level d sims that we train in mm-hmm. land nothing like the real airplane i mean i yeah. was i remember my first time in the airbus when i was going through typewriting school i mean I, I was like oh man i'm greasing this thing on in the sim right and i was like oh yeah. i got this man my, my partner's over there slamming it on I'm like dude i i got this first landing <laughs> on oe dude Oh my gosh. I tell you what, man, we, I, I planted that thing. Like you, I didn't, I thought, I know now that it wasn't the hardest landing I ever experienced, but at that time it was, and it was, I was one, I was extremely embarrassed and two, I couldn't believe how different it was. (laughs) So it bruised your ego. It's just, oh yeah, man. That's, and I talk about, you know, the bounce, right? The the second, the second touchdown always hurts the worst because it goes right through your ego and you get that bounce. So. Wow. But luckily I haven't bounced one in a very long time. The last one I bounced was a 321 actually here in Dallas. So that was uh we don't have to talk about that. Wow. So, <laughs> were you, were you like nervous during your first flight ever with passengers? Cause I know that my game would be totally different if I had just the thought that I have hundreds of people behind me who are, relying on no you know it's i i remember my first flight so i was at a regional airline and the first time the first flight it was from washington national dca to new orleans and i remember i was so excited i thought i would be nervous i was more nervous about getting there on time because it at the it was a winter time there was snow and i actually had to commute in from philadelphia down to dc and i was late and i was trying to take the bus and all this stuff so I, i was stressed and worried about that I get to the plane right. and my check airman or the, the captain that I'm doing uh, inter- initial operating experience with. So you go to IOE and he's like, oh man, well, no, don't worry about it. You're flying this one. And I'm just like, what? Like, I just wanted to sit there and I wasn't in that headspace. But I remember as soon as we pushed back from the gate, I just, it felt like it went to slow-mo. It, time kind of stopped for me and I see the terminal getting smaller as we're pushing back <laughs> wow. in DC. And I will, I will never yeah. forget that feeling. I had that, like the butterflies went away, everything. It just, it was this sense of excitement that overwhelmed me. And I was like, I'm actually doing this Jeez. all these years of, of wanting to be here. It is happening right now. And I'll never forget seeing those terminals get smaller as they push us back and you do a 180, they face out towards the runway and they back in, in the alley there. And it was, I mean, it was, it was fun, man. And I, I think that act, that landing was actually pretty good in New Orleans, but I thought it was pretty good. One of the flight attendants said it wasn't wow. good, but I, I didn't know any better because <laughs> it was my first flight ever. So, but I, I remember that experience. I mean, I, I could, I could draw it out for you. If I was artistic, I could draw exactly what I saw because it just hit me as soon as the tug started pushing back. Wow. So basically your training kicked in after you got over the nerves. You just, yeah, yeah. It just, it was just like, you know, a flip of a switch. It was go time. And then it's like, Hey, it's, it's going to be okay, man. Everything's fine. Like you've, you've know what to do. You don't need to be nervous. Just enjoy this moment. And it was, uh, I was pretty much all smiles, man. And after we took off, it was, I, I went, I couldn't enjoy anything because I was so concerned about not uh, going into P50. we call it P56, but prohibited airspace there over the White House and all that stuff. You have to make an immediate left turn coming off runway one there at DC, because if you don't, you're going to end up in mm-hmm. over the White House. And they, it's, yeah. I think, I'm pretty sure they have some surface air missiles or something <laughs> down there. So it's, it's a definite no no. You don't want to avoid it's it. More so than- as soon as the gear came up, it was, I was all heads in and I was, before I, knew it we were in cruise and my head was still back on the runway man i'm like okay runway heading is uh zero and we're at you know twenty four thousand feet so it was like going over the white house is more than getting a number to call (laughs) oh yeah yeah you're you're gonna get more than a call you go into that airspace for sure (laughs) so (laughs) so here's another question for you um 
you're well ex you're well deserve a rise in the flight sim community on uh youtube here i, mean, I appreciate what, it what, man thank you what, I appreciate what's your it. take on it you know how do you feel about it you know you came in how long ago did you come uh, you into know, the, the youtube community streaming well i would say about a i'd say probably i'd have to look at my channel probably about a year mm -hmm. is when i really I, and like to actually streaming streaming i don't maybe less than a year for the streaming portion. I know I kind of started out with making edited videos first. You know, I kind of went out with the professional series or I think one of the first videos I did was an auto land tutorial or something like that. When the flight factor first came out, that's when I kind of started hitting it off. But um, what do I think about it? I mean, I mean, I think it's great that people are receptive of what I'm trying to do to give them. Like, like I said, I love teaching and I love sharing my passion for aviation with other people that are just as passionate. So, I mean, like right. I don't hang out. I mean, I live, I have friends, but all my friends are pilots too, for the most part. Right. So we all live all across the country. We're all spread out. So we don't really hang out that much. I mean, I, and I'm, I'm busy with my home life. I have my wife and kid and we do, we do our own thing, but to find those people that are just as passionate about aviation as I am, it's, it's pretty hit or miss. I mean, you know, when I go to work, we're all there, but when I'm not at work, it's like, okay, well, who wants to talk about airplanes? Nobody really wants to talk about airplanes. Nobody. Right. So then I, I, I you know, I, and then I, I look at YouTube and I look at the community here and people are very excited to learn something, whether it be something that I didn't even know that they wanted to learn and they are so yeah. receptive of it. That just, that drives me to continue to do to do that to produce content so now i have to ask as being a real world pilot um th this is something that i heard uh, kyle talk about who is designing the, Anch the freeware anchorage scenery right now mm -hmm. uh, i asked him basically what he looks for when he's doing scenery and his answer was um he just like tries to get the vibe of the place and he tries to get all these firsthand stories about places um such as uh, what pilots look for when they're there so that he can model it and that he can really feel um, he can really like make the place come alive mm -hmm. um, I know that he did a few things um, for Anchorage that you know embody that what are some airports that have like distinctive qualities to them or distinctive jokes or something um, I know that uh, something that um, if you've ever watched Captain Joe I love watching Captain Joe um, he always his, like his favorite thing is whenever he goes into JFK, he just loves the way the controllers talk there. <laughs> and there's also apparently in yeah in Denver, there's apparently like a ditch or something that a, there's like a bunch of jokes there from pilots. Are there any airports that you fly to that there's like running jokes or just things <laughs> well, that you, I, don't, I don't know annoy you or yeah, that you love about the airport? Yeah, well you named a couple already. I mean Kennedy going into JFK, man, that's always a that's always a cluster. Like you never know what you're gonna get. Like I would say Kennedy, LaGuardia. Chicago and LA are kind of like, you know, you better bring your A game because there's so much traffic there and there's, there's just so there's tighter. It's just small airspace, right? You have, you have a lot of airplanes going to small areas. So you really got to be on your A game in those airports. But I mean, Denver is known for just being weird. I mean, you, you look at the layout of the airport and you're like, well, that's kind of weird. And then you look at all the, these TPs and tents, you're like, interesting, but I mean, I guess it works. It keeps the snow from accumulating. 
And then, yeah. but I, one thing I hate about Denver is I never know what runway I'm going to get. Oh. I mean, I swear they, they've got like 46 <laughs> runways there, man. I, I don't even know how many runways they have. And every time I put one in the box, it's the wrong one. So I don't even do them. Like if we're flying, if we're flying to Denver, I just let the other guy do it. I'm like, Hey man, your guess is as good as yeah. mine. Just let it rip. You know, we'll, we'll figure it out. And then they won't tell you what runway it is till you're already on the arrival. And then you got to change it. It changes all your transitions and it wipes out everything. So uh, that's that I, I hate Denver for that reason. The airport, <laughs> not, not Denver, anybody to do with them. No, no offense right. to people in Denver, just the airport. I don't know yeah. what runway I'm going to get in Denver. Um, the whole Northeast don't mess up your radio calls. Cause they're going to, they're going to chew you out for it. Like, I mean, back in the day, Boston, John, he's since retired. Um, or I think there was Kennedy, Steve, was that another controller that yep. was out there? Yep. Um, so, I mean, I, I talked to all those guys back in the day when they were working out there, but I'm trying to think some other ones. Um, Portland, Maine is known for having a very beautiful approach. They call it the Harbor visual into Portland, Mm. Maine on the East coast. And you come in and you fly. I'd have to look at a, at a chart, but there's an actual published chart for the Harbor visual. And you basically hit one Island and they make a left at the lighthouse. And you're, you're coming up the Harbor kind of very similar to Washington, DC. I'm sure you guys have heard the river visual Mm -hmm. approach into Washington, DC. Mm -hmm. It's similar to that, but you're even it's, I would say it's even more beautiful to look at if you're flying it in real life. Now, I don't know of any good scenery up there on the Northeast, but that's one that comes to mind. Portland, Maine. I can see it right now. It looks yeah. gorgeous. Oh, it is. It's, it's you just, beautiful. You just there. go up the whole coast. Mm-hmm. Like for people who, who don't have it in front of them, yeah. you, you basically go up the, cor- the coast of Maine and then you make a left turn yeah. around the lighthouse. Yeah. And then you just go into the bay. Exactly. Exactly. And you come right down, come right down the bay wow. into the, onto the runway there. Wow. So. That's Te- technical yeah. question. I think I've heard somebody ask you on one of your streams, but I, I don't know if you answered it or not. In the real world, do you actually put in an arrival runway at all or just leave it alone? No. Yeah. So we'll have, so the paperwork, when we get our, our paperwork from uh, our flight release, our dispatch, whatever, it will have a pre-planned departure runway and an arrival runway. Now, like Simbrief. Like, just like Simbrief. Now, about 98% of the time, they're going to be wrong because they have no idea. They just look at what's in, like the last. I honestly think it's something very similar to, um, was it flightplan.com? I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. When I flew corporate, we used to file all our own flight plans. So we used flightplan.com. And what that does is you can see the last 10 filed routes or whatever, right? So you would just copy that, paste it. You wouldn't even look at it, to be honest. And you just put that, oh, well, the last 10 planes did it. This looks good. We'll put it in the box. So sometimes that'll happen through dispatch where you might have a really big storm in the middle of the country, right? And then they'll just put in, we call it the canned route or the route that's always flown. But then that route takes mm-hmm. you right through the middle of a storm. So you're like, okay, well, that's not going to work. So then that's when you end up having to call clearance. They give you a reroute, a different routing and things like that. I think you asked that question a little bit in the beginning about when you get a different route. A lot of times it's for weather. But as far as mm-hmm. runways goes, yes. If you have no idea what to expect, I'll just put what's on the paperwork and I'll say, hey, it'll when we get at 250 miles is kind of our cue to start the descent approach phase. So that's when we look over the approach charts. We get the ATIS through PDs or through ACARS at that point, and we see what runway they're landing on. And then we look at our arrival and we try to match up. Okay, well, I assume that we're going to get this one. Chicago is another one where you, you, it's 50, I'd say it's about 70% chance you're going to know which runway you're going to get in Chicago. Denver's about 10% chance you know which runway you're going to wow. get. So, um, but yeah, that 250 miles is when we'll really 
kind of dive in and say, okay, well, I want to try to get this runway because it is important to have, I know Atlanta, just cause I was there recently, there's a couple of rivals when you're coming in, if you don't have the correct runway, your transitions on your arrival route are going to be different. Mm-hmm. So you, it, mm-hmm. it is important to have the right runway in there because you may have a different, you may end up flying in the wrong course if you have the wrong runway. And they are pretty good about telling you, okay, welcome to, you know, Atlanta approach, whatever, expect runway two, five, right. And then, you know, okay, he's going to give us two, five, right. So then you just put that right. in and verify all those fixes because there are charts that are dependent upon the runway selection that you put in the box. Well, <clears throat> now, another front with flight simming. I believe that we're in the most exciting time ever uh, in the history of flight simming. But oh, yeah. am I just saying that because I'm in it now, or do you believe the same based on how far back you've gone in flight simming? What do you think? No, I uh, I believe it 100%. I think with with what X-Plane has been able to do, and I mean, you look at the ortho foot, when you get a good ortho out there and you have the... Um, uh, active sky clouds and things like that. I mean, it looks better than any flight sim that I've, I mean, it looks better. It looks a heck of a lot better than the stuff we use for training and level D sims. Cause they're more, they don't really focus on terrain and things like that, but yeah, it looks almost photo real in some, in some aspects. So I definitely think it's a very exciting time. Cause you have, you have that, then you know that FS 2020 is around the corner, which I honestly think I'm, I'm trying to not overhype myself and I don't think that FS 2020 will, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard for me to talk about it, but I, maybe not right away, but I definitely think in the near future after its release, it may be the game changer that we, we never saw coming. Yeah. So I, I'm very excited yeah. for it. I'm excited for, for X plane right now, because I know, I know um, what well, I can't remember the name of the, the lead developer here at X-Plane. Um, what's his name? Austin. Austin. Yeah, Austin. I mean, I've seen, I've watched some of his videos where he goes like on a tangent in advanced aerodynamics. And I see, <laughs> I see his passion for aviation as well and, and what he does with X-Plane. So knowing that he is behind X-Plane, I just know it's going to drive him to make X-Plane even better. So who knows, maybe X-Plane is going to be right up there and compete all the way to the end. So we, but as a consumer, as someone who flies it, I mean, it is a very exciting time to be part of it because you've got some phenomenal Sims out there right now that just seem to only be getting better. And they're not only just getting better slowly, they're exponentially getting better. Yeah. And I also think that you can add in the fact that uh, I, I recently learned that P3D version five is actually in the works mm. and apparently there are some wow. pretty major changes. Yeah. Somebody in the comment section of one of uh, Matt Davies tweets was talking about um, how he's under the NDA for uh, P3D V5. And apparently he said that a few times on stream, Wow. Uh, wow. but it's crazy because, you know, adding to the fact that Microsoft flight simulator is coming and also the fact that, I'm sure that they're thinking about X-Plane 12 right now. Mm-hmm. And now we know that P3DV5 is in the works. Like, think about what this next two years is going to be. Oh, it's going to be insane. Three of the biggest simulators are, like, are getting incremental upgrades. Like, I'm, yeah. when they released P3DV4, that was a big deal. Mm-hmm. I remember that was when I was actually compelled to get it because it, it stopped being um, a pseudo FSX mm-hmm. and became its own thing. And X-Plane 11 was huge. And I mean, we saw with the Navigraph, um, with the Navigraph thing that like 
it's almost half and half now with half people are explained and half people are p3d right. that didn't used to be the case it used to be like three quarters and a quarter yeah and not <laughs> even sometimes and it, it's crazy yeah. uh what's wow. happening with all these sims now i think my wallet just felt a little bit lighter <laughs> oh my gosh man it's unreal dude. <laughs> it is but uh i i i'm a huge so i take it you're a big p3d fan then does you, does me it, yeah yeah no i i prefer x-plane really? i have the most in x-plane and yeah i prefer x-plane and i've always really loved x-plane and i i love the community yeah. i mean you talked about this earlier it's it, it's so great how many free things there are mm -hmm. like i constantly find myself frustrated that i okay this is a little tangent the fact that i have to pay like forty dollars to get a decent thing that can actually work the camera in p3d is right. just preposterous to me right. and x-plane just has so much out of the box that i'm i'm oh, yeah. in love with that was i love yeah, that was so my much. big transition as well just like what you said yeah yeah the the only frustration i have and i'm i haven't been silent about this um both on the show and also in the threshold discord is also i just i wish x-plane had better aircraft if x-plane had pmdg over here and they had their triple seven or something like that mm -hmm. i would never leave and i can tell you that for a fact because i love what they do and i love the people uh, although there's toxic people and explain there's toxic people in every community right so yeah you're gonna find have to just like yeah you just have to accept it yeah 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 it's um, um i, I i've been i've been looking for I, I can't even remember what version was the first and last version i i tested with p3d but i do know i love the fs labs airbus and i, yeah. I know it's, i know it's sitting over there on p3d and i'm just like oh man i honestly if i had unlimited space on my pc i might i might try to i might do it but i just between x-plane and the ortho scenery that just takes up I mean, mega amounts of space and I have, I have a combat, I have DCS digital combat simulator as well. And, and now the alpha, it's just like, I have, I have no more room. Like <laughs> I have no more yeah. room. I hear you. So, I mean, being an Airbus pilot, I mean, how far off are the X-plane Airbuses? What? 50%, 60%, 70% you'd say? Let's see. I would put them, I mean, so I'll say this, the, the flight factor 320 is modeled and is designed after a more modern software load of an Airbus. There is a, a million right. and two different loads of software for an Airbus. And depending on the operator in the country, it may be something much more archaic than some of the leading edge technology that's coming out with Airbus. And, th and then, of course, you have options, right? So the Flight Factor Airbus models a more current version of airbus like the, it's referred to as the eis2 software mm. and that's what mm. i'm most familiar with so then and then i look at the tolus and the tolus is is kind of a hybrid between eis1 and then uh, eis2 things in there so i would put I i'll put the 19 and the 21 i'd say they're both probably about 70 percent to a real airplane and i'd put the flight factor mm, wow. at about 75 percent just because I'm, I'm more, it's got about 5% more with the updated software load that they modeled. So, I mean, and it's, it's stuff that you would never use in explain, for instance, I mean, the init ref page and being able to see your different IR alignments and things like that. That's all stuff that is not included on the Tolis McDo, but it's, it's for 
good reason. It's because it, it wasn't there for the software that they modeled. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's just two different two different loads of software that they kind of went after. But what I would really what I think would put both of them into that 85, 90 percent margin is being able to come out with some type of PDC system or ACAR system that I didn't even know really existed until I saw the FS Labs Airbus do it. Then I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, if they could come up with some type of, you know, uh, PDC software or uh, performance upload software, that would really kind of put it over the over the top. Yeah, flight factor and yeah, we're talking you guys about are listening. <laughs> we are. Well, this would be good. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. So I mean, well, flight factor. I mean, that's well. I'll leave it at that. Right. But, you know. Now we're talking about software. <laughs> Was there anything that you had to learn about? when you went over to a simulator that's different um, on a simulator than real life? Because I know you briefly touched on ACARS, and I recently learned that that's something that actually comes through the FMC. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. Um, whereas we just use a plugin or something right. like that <clears throat> for uh, X-Plane. Is there anything that you, was there any sort of blur- learning curve? Well, the the proper is MCDU, not FMC. It's not a Boeing. So no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> so, so we're, we're Airbus pilots. The McDo, yes. So the McDo <laughs> in the Airbus. Um, let's see, something that I had to do in the sim that was different. Um, I, not, I'm trying to think. Uh, I, not off the top of my head. I want to say there was something that I discovered in the Tolis 319 that I realized, wow, we don't do that anymore. Like it was something Mm -hmm. that was, it was correctly modeled, but I can't remember what it was now. I don't know if it was something in the box or it was a way a system of the systems were laid out, but I I can't think of it off the top of my head, but no, there's not really anything that as far as Airbus goes, I mean, I've, the Zebo, I mean, watching the, the Zebo tutorials and things like that. I mean, I feel like I can go take a Boeing type rating course now because of the yep. in-depth systems that that airplane brings to the table. It, it blows my mind Crazy. a little bit when you look at yeah. everything that they've got going there. And it just, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, freeware donation where, and it's, held. and, and the, oh my gosh. And the fact that the Zebo is free is just, it's crazy. Absolutely Ridiculous. crazy, man. I remember I was talking to a threshold worker about uh, the PMDG mm-hmm. and the Zebo, and I was like, they're pretty much the same because I tried it yeah. on a friend's computer and then I compared it on my own um, and I, I got it as well. Um, and they're, they're pretty much exactly the same. And he was like, yeah, but you can't do this and that. And I was like, but when would you ever need to use right, that? Right. That's kind of what you were talking about earlier with uh, the TOLIS and you were like, it, you know, it has, it doesn't have this thing, but you wouldn't need that thing anyway. Right. And it's, right. it's funny because whenever people talk about study level, they talk about how much stuff is there. And it's like, right. if there's something there that you're never going to use, why do you even care if it's not Exactly. There? Yeah. And I mean, it's running the thing that I love about the TOLUS system is their, their, their failure system. They have a way that you can just inject faults every so often. So it's not like you know what's coming. You don't intentionally fail something and then have to deal with it. It's, it's random. And to fully, and that's why I fly with the faults on during stream because I think it's a good learning experience for people that maybe not aren't or maybe aren't familiar with some of the s- systems stuff that is modeled. For instance, on the last stream, we had a, or I think two streams ago, it was a generator fail. So 
my generator failed in flight. I started the APU and then I brought up the electrical page and I was like, okay, well, let's see the depth of, of electrical system modeling here. And I was able to correctly transfer generator load hmm. from generator one. It was able to power all the gen two buses. And then I was able to turn that generator off and the APU would automatically pick up that load, which it would do in real life. And then I was able to reverse it. So it's little things like that. When you have these failures that go on, you see that these airplanes the the quote unquote study level ones are you know they're not just you know gear up gear down flaps they actually have some sophisticated modeling behind the scenes that really i mean have taken me by surprise i know the hydraulics i did a video on single engine taxi in the airbus and why you hear the ptu going off and things like that and the fact that I can replicate that exactly as it would be in the real airplane. It was astonishing to see that in the desktop simulator. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, wow, the here's the hydraulics. You could see the pressure build. Pressure would, would slowly drop off, and it was it's phenomenal. Interesting. You know, people make fun of simulator pilots for saying, oh, in a dire situation, I could land the plane, but you make it sound like that's actually kind of true. Yeah, no, honestly, if... If I became completely incapacitated and my first officer was incapacitated, I would want a simulator pilot to land it other than just some random Joe Blow <laughs> who has no experience. I would absolutely <laughs> take the simulator guy because he at least knows to put the gear down, right? I mean, you, you, yeah. you'd be amazed, man. Like as an, When I was an instructor at, at the beginner level, you know, just doing private pilots and I would do Groupon flights or things like that where people would say, oh, I really, I'm passionate about flying. I want to I want to go try it. And you'd be amazed at the things that they just w wouldn't do. And I'm like, wow, that's, so that's why I, my job exists is to teach them. <laughs> and it's amazing at some of the basic things that people will omit in. And I don't know if it's, it's, it's not to insult anyone's intelligence. It's just that you become so focused on, oh my gosh, I'm flying the airplane. This is, this is reacting to me in a three-dimensional world. And it's like, okay, yeah, but we still need to put the gear down right? so we don't yeah. crash. And like, you know, we're not slowing down because you have full power in there. So it's yeah. little things like that. So absolutely, man, if I was ever in that situation, I sure hope. I sure. I could. I could hear. I hope he watched my channel too. I hope he comes up and he's. <laughs> I could hear. I could hear the announcement channel. right now, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Is there any FSX B three D or X plane um, sims on board? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I'm gonna get that. I'm gonna get that put in our books, man. I'm gonna have it. I'm gonna I'm gonna send that up the chain of command and be like, hey, wow. if in the event of incapacitation of the flight crew, make sure you solicit flight sim enthusiasts before asking a random guy to come up there. True. <laughs> it's like, has anyone does it anyone here a doctor? Is anyone here a sim pilot? Exactly. Uh, yeah. Wow. Absolutely. It, I, I can just imagine, you know, you're talking about somebody watching your videos doing it too. I can imagine like you're on the ground and then you finally wake up because let's say like you were knocked unconscious or something yeah. and he, and then like whoever, whoever like landed the plane sitting in the seat and you're like, like, dude, thank you so much for your videos. Otherwise I wouldn't <laughs> have been able to land this plane. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Absolutely. <laughs> that would be that. that's so true. man. Quick question. Just for me, my sake only. There are some um, level D ish Sims in Atlanta for Boeing's like, like the regular, uh -huh. um, public can can pay and visit is there anything there for airbus in the states that you can visit in front as a public i'm trying to think not not off the top of my head no hmm. but i'm i that's just right i don't know i haven't done any research on it there may be because i mean there is the airbus factory here in the states now as well so there may be there may be one out there uh, if 
if there was one for the public, I would say it would probably be in Miami because that's where the head Airbus sims are. So mm. oh. I would have to look into that, but it would be, I mean, yeah, that would be, I, I don't have a good answer for you on that one, man. I, I apologize. No, no worries. You might be able to get, you might be able to get into it. I agree with the whole Miami thing. I know that Air, uh, Airbus, uh, of course, the Airbus is down there. Um, I know that JetBlue has their whole university and everything down right. there. And I heard of JetBlue being pretty kind about things like that. Yeah, I, yeah. There, there show. might be a way to get to get around to have some someone come down. So if I if I'm ever back in the training department, XP, I'm, I'm definitely going to hit you up, man, and we'll uh, we'll go do some simming. Heard it here but first, I, guys. I that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We'll say we'll see. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, just to mention this, by the way, um, <clears throat> if you're a member of uh, V1's um, YouTube channel, you actually do get um, access to his podcasts. And actually, I was listening to one the other day. And the podcasts you do are, are pretty good. I mean, they're very informational. Thanks, what man. you talk about. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm not sure if people knew, knew about that. I didn't know about it, certainly. Um, I, yeah, no, yeah, no, no. yeah. I do, uh, I do a podcast every month, and I just kind of talk about. I mean, some if you go back in the old ones, some of the state of bus items are going to be out of date because I kind of talk about, you know, what's all, what's the new hype with all with between the Tolis and the Flight Factor in that current month? Any updates? Any new mods? Any things like that? And then uh, my favorite part at the very end of each podcast is the cockpit confessional is what we call it. And I'll go and I'll tell a, a story that happened to me and whether it may be something serious or something comical. So that's kind of, and then I also do an Airbus first Boeing section. Of course, I always say one thing that I like the Airbus does over the Boeing, but then I flip the switch. I say something that the Boeing does. I wish the Airbus did. Yep. So I always, I always like keep it in perspective. Absolutely. I like it. But it thanks for that. Definitely. Oh yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Now, so since you're a real world pilot, um, do you have any excitement to fly or have you flown? Because I don't know um, your experience. Have you flown any of the Neos yet? Yes. Yes. I love the Neos. And XP, before I answer this question, after your stream last night, Boeing or Airbus, man? I still have a grin on my face from last night's stream. The sound alone in that of the Neo engine is just absolutely ridiculous. And I've heard you said it's that. unreal. They nailed the sound in the sim. <clears throat> they nailed this it mod yep nailed 100 percent. yeah i've i've uh to answer your question so yeah i've flown the neos and i i they're fantastic i've we've had a lot of engine trouble with the pratt and whitney's initially they've been having a lot of issues with I've the heard. fan blades delaminating and things like that i've actually fall, fell victim to one of those but um now they're they're really starting to kind of stabilize this kind of been fixed i mean with any major change like that you're going to have some hiccups now an engine failure is a pretty major hiccup so yeah. uh, but i think uh, you know pratt and whitney actually took the hit for a couple of different airlines for having planes grounded and lost revenue and things like that so um the neo is a fantastic bird i love it the sounds that that the xp is re referring to is the, the f mod sound pack for the neo is so well done. I mean, it, if I were to close my eyes, I feel like I'm in the airplane. There's a couple, there's a, vi there's a video wow. on YouTube. It's a cockpit video of a Neo takeoff. Now it's actually with the leap variant Neo. So uh, I'm more familiar with the Pratt and Whitney's, but the sound is very similar and it is, 
It is spot on. I mean, sound to me, it's so huge in a desktop simulator. I love having a it good is, sound pack. Yeah. It really, it's, I mean, it, it can make, I honestly think it can make or break an add-on airplane. Yes. Because if I you totally have, agree. if you have a fantastic airplane, but the sounds are garbage, you're not going to be immersed in it. You don't it feel sucks. it. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So having that sound is so huge to me. And that sound pack is I I smile every time that I hear those engines in in the sim. I mean, it, it's it's that good. It's that good. I absolutely love it. Yeah, yeah, me too. I mean, my I'm an Airbus fan, obviously, but I love the sound of the IAE engines. Oh and yeah, when they came out for the um, jar design way back when, mm-hmm. I could not stop buying that plane. And even like I with that whole sound thing, um, the CRJ two hundred, uh, the Javier Roland one. Yeah, it. It you know it's it was great for its time. It's not too great now, but now I just love flying it because the sounds just make yeah. you they just BSS draw sound you they really so do. Much. BSS sound pack. You can even I mean you can go the other way. You can have an airplane that's not necessarily very modeled in depth. It just has some basic stuff. But if it has a killer sound pack, you're probably going to be more drawn to fly that than an airplane that's modeled extremely well with a terrible sound pack. So yeah. it just adds that level of immersion. And I, I love the IA engines in general over the top. I know some guys don't like it because you got EPR and things like that. But I mean, I've, I'm used to EPR gauges or engine pressure ratio. So it wasn't a big, mm. wasn't a big deal for me. But um, I just think they look better. They definitely sound better in real life and in the sim. So that's, it, it would, for me, it would be Neo, then IAE engine, and then mm, PT6. Do you think that you'll ever get dispatched to do one of the long fights when the A321 ULR comes out? I will. We'll have to see, man. We'll have to see. I the 321. So I I don't even know the numbers on the Neo LR for the 321 yet. I I don't know. I would imagine it's substantially more, but I know the 321 is a hog in general. So it would probably have a significantly reduced useful load because you're going to have. I don't know if it comes with two ACTs. I think that's airline dependent and it's always, there's so many options that you can outfit them differently. But mm. I know, you know, when you just look at a standard 321, I mean, the range is about 600 miles less than a 319. So more often than not, the 319, 320 is going to be your longer haul airplane, although it's, you're not going to be able to take as many people. So it's just a trade-off. Yeah. Ever since you said yeah. it, I'm still, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. You see a bigger plane, yeah. you automatically well, assume it's got a better range, but no, it's only a load. Right. Thing. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. For the, for this Airbus specifically, because I mean, it's the same exact wing. I mean, it's the same wing on the 19 all the way to the 21. So, and you, and you know, the differences in the fuselage. So you think, okay, you have the same lifting force on the 19 and you put a 21 fuselage on it. That's really going to hurt your performance. So what do you got to do? You got to, bump the thrust on the engines, but you bump the thrust on the engines. Now you're up in the fuel flow. So now you've yeah. upped the fuel flow with the same fuel capacity because it's the same wing. And there you go. So that's why you're going to be reduced range. You said that the A320 has about, how much did you say? Like 3000? Uh, the 320 should have, oh, oh gosh, I don't know, 3300. I know the 321 is like 3100. The 319 is about 3,700. This is just ballpark, no ACT tanks. So the 320 yeah, they, is going to be there in the middle somewhere. Yeah, they upped it a lot because I just I just quickly Googled and the A320 is, uh, the A320, I think it's just the regular Neo. Yeah, the regular one, it goes up all the way to 4,000. Oh, yeah. So the Neo, yes. The Neo, 
definitely is going to have more range. And that's why I don't know what the Neo range on the 321 is going to be. I'd, I'd be curious to see what the uh, LR Neo is going to be. But I know for a fact the 320 Neos, when they're ferrying Airbuses over to the States from Europe from for delivery, they actually mm-hmm. skip a fuel stop in the Neo. That's how significant oh, really? it is. So, yeah, there's an additional fuel stop with the CEO engine that you have to make in order to make it into, I think, if you go past... Um, was it, I think Atlanta or something. If you have to go further west, you got to do an additional fuel stop in the CEO versus the Neo. So that should just give you an idea. And I mean, ballpark figures, a 320 CEO is probably going to be burning right around 2,500 pounds an hour per side. So right about 5,000 pounds an hour in cruise, mm. where the Neo is going to be right between, depending on load, I mean, 18 to 2,000. So you're looking at a 400 pound difference per hour almost per 20, side. Almost 25%. So. Yeah. Good. Yeah, I mean, it is the Neo will will make a significant impact. Yeah, it looks like the the XLR is supposed to go the A three twenty one XLR is supposed to go four thousand seven hundred, which is pretty ridiculous. That is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, that, that is that's some legs on it there. That's now we're getting towards flight times where I don't I don't want to be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, at four hours, man. In a I, I talked about how comfortable the Airbus is, but man, after four hours, I'm ready to get out. So two, like it's so two medium yeah. legs versus one long leg for you. Yeah. Oh yeah, and, and, yeah. Two two medium legs versus one long for and sure, and probably more block time. I think I don't know, depend on taxi. Yeah, too. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So I, I would definitely take that over. I mean, I um, I hate uh, we'll, we'll do transcons, and you go you go westbound in the in the winter time headwinds, and you're looking yeah. you're looking at you're looking at six <laughs> hours plus, yep, man. Headwinds. I'm just like, goodness. No, thank you. Yeah. And, that, and then I remember why I was like, man, it'd be cool to fly triple seven, and then I fly one of those. I'm like, nope, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> Send me to Chicago and back. <laughs> You know, I was happy to hear that you talked about the whole size thing because um, I I used to be actually really into the Boeing Airbus thing and I converted a friend of mine mm-hmm. um, to Airbus. And I remember one of my principal arguments because he was talking about the Max and how uh, it had like that spacious cabin and all. And I was like, yeah. yeah, but have you ever been in a Boeing and then been in an Airbus and seen the <laughs> difference? Yeah. And I remember, I remember talking to him about it because... Um, if you look into Boeing's very fine details, you'll see that it's the same cabin, but it's meant to feel bigger and it's not actually bigger. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I I love the spaciousness of yeah. the A320 yeah. as well. Yeah, it definitely is is a uh, comfortable airplane, man. Oh yeah. Now, do you do you have any other things that you haven't necessarily shared with us uh, that about being a pilot in the simulator world uh, that you'd like to touch on? Hmm. I mean, I, oh well, well. I, I mean, I'll just say that I'm human too. I'll make mistakes in the sim, and just because I'm a real world pilot doesn't mean everything. Like I'll misspeak, I'll say things wrong, and uh, I mean, just have have mercy on me because I mean, I yeah. I don't I I'm definitely not a know it all, and I, I'm not the end all be all with Airbus knowledge. And for some reason, when people talk about the Airbus, it's almost like they think that they know everything about the airbus and it's it almost seems very airbus specific i talked to guys about boeing's and that and they're all like yeah it's cool man this one does this and you talk to a guy about an airbus and if he's if he's serious airbus guy he's like well this is this 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 i'm like chill out man cool all right i just you know but um yeah i mean i'll, I'll make mistakes on stream and i'll, I'll say things that are there aren't that aren't accurate necessarily and it's not intentional it's just i, I mean i'm human too so 
just take it easy on me. That's, yeah. That would be anything. That would be. And I would say that's one of the reasons why um, your channel continues to grow um, because of the way you handle stuff like that. You're not taking it seriously right. as far as, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. criticism or, you know, constructive criticism or in yeah. between. So definitely. Yeah. No, I, I that's what appreciate it. Thank you. That's what you have to do if you want to remain a streamer that just right. has a chill vibe. Just, okay. Comes along. Oh, with yeah, time, exactly. Right? Definitely. It does. Yeah, man. It Absolutely. Happens. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, thank you it, for having been, me. It's been really insightful, and um, I I know that off recording, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you like a few more <laughs> questions about Airbus flying. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but no, absolutely. But um, very um, happy that you accepted this um, chat with us here, and I appreciate what you've been doing and what you're, you're going to be doing in the future. And thank you so much. Appreciate. It. I appreciate both of you. Thank you very much for having me on. Thank you so much, Kevin, for joining us on this week's episode of InFlight. I'm sorry that my microphone started to get a little bit wonky towards the later end of the recording. Uh, my main microphone started to give me some really weird audio output, so I had to switch to my secondary, which isn't as great and it's a little bit grainy. On next episode, we're going to be having Vertical Sim Studios on the show, and we'll talk a little bit about his upcoming Tampa scenery, which you all have been looking forward to, I'm sure. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode of InFlight. See you guys next time.